The rocket ship continues its ascent right now. This is Quarian Schultz on Fox Sports 1260, Indy Sports Station. Hope you're having a fantastic Thursday. Thanks for tuning us in. Corey and Schultz, Fox Sports 1260. I'm your host, Eric Schultz. No Jake today. He's in France. Or he's about to be in France. And he's going to be in France for a while. So you've got me until next Friday. Sam Rumsa on the other side of the glass doing a great job as always. And even though it's a Colts bye week, we've had a lot to talk about today. We actually led baseball today. We never lead baseball, but... I think what happened last night, not only that ridiculous 10-run inning that St. Louis put together in the first, uh, but also the Dodgers melting down and Kershaw being part of that again kind of added to their series of postseason falling shorts. You want to call them flops? You know, 106-win team that doesn't get out of the divisional series, that's uh, – it's a tough pill to swallow for sure. And for Kershaw, you feel for him because I, I've always tried to defend him kind of like I did for Peyton Manning for many years because I, I do think that who you are over th- 250 games is more indicative of who you are than who you are over 25 games. But this is just kind of the world that we live in now where you win seven straight division crowns, you roll out of bed and win 95, 97, 100, 107 games. That's all well and good, but if you don't get the ring, then everyone's like, oh, God, this is a failure. You're terrible. What happened? This is disappointing. I think just now that most fans over the last couple of years, most fans in this city have started, if they didn't already, to reappreciate the 2000s Colts. And if you don't appreciate the success, the the wins and the Super Bowl and the two Super Bowl appearances and the division titles every year, you probably at this point appreciate the stress-free nature of those regular seasons. I mean, think about how easy life was in 04, 05, 06, 07, the latter part of 08, and 09, where you knew that the Colts the Colts were playing the Bills, the Colts were playing the Ravens, the Colts were playing the, you know, Insert anyone other than the Patriots, Chargers, and maybe the Steelers, and you knew they were going to win every single week, September, October, November, December. You know, a lot of times those games would be over at halftime. You go out, rake leaves, go to the apple orchard, go for a walk with your kid, you know, whatever. And now, the last couple of years from the Pagano era to now, and and Frank Reich has found a lot of success, but you never really know where these games are going to go, right? Hell, the Colts have played five games this year, and and all five of those games have been play happens here, play happens there. You win, you lose. All five of them. All five have been decided by one score, right? Because that they they scored the garbage touchdown late against the Raiders, so that even that made it a seven point game. But you know, my point is, is that I think we consume sports differently in 2019 than we used to, where we could appreciate a great season and say, "Hey, good job, good effort." even if you fell short in the playoffs. But now there's just so much pressure to win that championship. And I thought Sam brought up a good point earlier when we talked about this in the 3 o'clock hour where he said that's true, but so much of it is predicated off what your preseason expectations mm-hmm. are. Like, let's face it, your preseason expectations, if you're a Chiefs fan, 
are different in 2019 than your preseason expectations going into the year last year as a Colts fan. You know, last year was a great year, right? No one would dispute for the 2018 Colts that wasn't a great year. They won 10 games. They finished winning 9 of 10. They won a road playoff game against a division rival. And they lost to a Chiefs team that lit up a lot of Chief, a lot of teams at home. And even though they didn't reach the Super Bowl, they took the Patriots to overtime. There was really nothing, nothing to hang your head about with that loss. It didn't result in a championship or anything like that, but I think most people thought that season was a success. The difference was is that the expectations were zero going into last season. You didn't even know if Andrew Luck was going to play. You're coming off a 4-12 and year. Darius Leonard had yet to play a snap. Quentin Nelson had yet to play a snap. So, so much of it is the bar of expectations, and, and I do understand that. But I, I do kind of wish that we could go back to an era where we did appreciate regular season success more and, and what happens in if you're a baseball fan, what happens in April, May, June, July, August, and September as opposed to just what happens in October. And I think about teams that had a lot of regular season success or even a lot of postseason success but didn't win a championship who are beloved and enjoyed. I think a great example from 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, is the Boom Baby era Pacers, Mm -hmm. where from 94 through 2000, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals five times. They went to the NBA Finals once. They were in the playoffs every year except I think that weird year. And what what you, I always get it mixed up. Was it 96 or 97? One of those years they were one and done. But one of those years they missed the playoffs outright. I think it was 97. I'll go back and look. But you had this long run of success. It was great. It was kind of the Pacers' arrival, at least on the NBA stage. They, they had done nothing before then. You'd have to go back to the ABA days at the Coliseum when they were a championship team. And I, I always kind of wonder, Sam, how we would process those teams today where there's so much emphasis on win a championship or you suck. I still think they'd be very much appreciated, uh, especially with how just kind of likable those those guys were. And I, I think it matters within the context of the entire league, like I mentioned earlier. I think those teams get a pass because they were losing to Michael Jordan and they were losing to the uh, you know the Shaq and Kobe Lakers that, that were unstoppable. If... You know, if they had made it to the 99 finals and lost to the Spurs, I guess that was the start of a dynasty, but that, that's a bad example. But I, I guess if it was an, an NBA where there there were no super teams and they they had that postseason success but didn't break through and win a championship, then that'd be one thing. But I think context within the entire league plays into it as well. So I, I think those teams would still be appreciated today because you see super teams and, you know, we've seen the Warriors the last few years. So... I think it matters with the context of the league and obviously, as I mentioned earlier, preseason expectations. You do wonder about Kershaw. Like, we're, we're kind of running out of time for him to change this narrative around him. And I, Joe Sheehan, I, I think, made a good point earlier when he said, clearly he's played worse, he's pitched worse in the postseason than he has in the regular season, but he's been asked to do things in the postseason he hasn't been asked to do in the regular season. And that's pitch on short rest or, or coming out of the bullpen like he did uh, yesterday and giving up those back-to-back solo home runs that tied the game. It technically became a blown save for Kershaw in the in the sixth or seventh. I think it was the seventh inning when he came in. Even if he comes back and has a Madison Bumgarner 2014 type year next year, though, and or the years beyond, that the postseason failures 
to this point are, are going to follow him forever. Yeah, it's just hard to scrub that. Um, and, and it sucks for him because if he played in a different era, I don't know if it would be that way. You know, Greg Maddox actually did have a championship. The 95 Braves won the whole thing. But Greg Maddox, in his career as a postseason pitcher, was 11-14. and 14. You know, pitcher record, whatever. But 11-14 and 14 and his ERA was a full run plus more than what it was in the regular season. And, and that doesn't seem to follow around Maddox. You know, isn't it funny how we view, let's say, Patrick Ewing compared to Reggie Miller? Neither guy won a championship. Ewing was far more tormented by Jordan than Miller ever was. The Pacers, yeah, they got blocked by Jordan. Maybe their best team got blocked by Jordan in 98. The Knicks were knocked out by Jordan five times. And we remember Reggie's great heroics, a lot of it against the Knicks. And for Ewing, yeah, there were some heroics, but we remember the failures more. We remember the botched finger roll and the bold predictions he'd always say that we're going to win it all and, and all of that. And then, of course, they would never win it all. They'd end up, he said it before the Rocket series. He said it, I think, before one of the Pacers series that they lost. And that's what we remember about them. So, you know, he's an all-time great player. He's uh, uh, How many Cy Youngs did Clayton Kershaw win? Four? Three? He's won at least three. And if he was MVP of the league one year. And he's going to be a Hall of Fame player, but Three times Cy Young. Yeah, this is always going to be something that is talked about. This 25, 26, 27, whatever it is, game sample size. I think it's 25 starts where he uh, where he struggled, and it sucks. And with the Dodgers specifically, you look at these, you mentioned the last seven years. No, they haven't won a World Series since 1988, but this is one of the most storied franchises in baseball. And to have that success, especially getting to the World Series the last two years, you've got Clayton Kershaw, you've got a – Dominant pitching staff around him. Obviously, the bullpen a little bit leaves to be desired, but the starting pitching was there. The offense was certainly there behind Belling- Bellinger as their as their main guy. Then, you know, in this case, I think it can be viewed as a disappointment. Yes, this is a failure they, they, that they have not won a World Series to this point with that core. You think that they would have accidentally stumbled into one mm-hmm. by now when, when you win seven straight division titles? I know the the baseball playoffs are random and weird, but you think that they would have won one by now and. Um... You know, unfortunately for them, they've been unable to do so. But it is funny how, you know, Peyton Manning, this was the, the, his whole thing forever. And, oh, why can't – does he is he lacking something that Tom Brady has? And then you're like, well, wait a minute. In head-to-head matchups, Peyton Manning's team was 3-2 and two against Tom Brady's team in the postseason. Oh, well, that Denver team, you know, they were dragging him to the finish line. Look, I don't disagree, but if we're going to give him credit for that, like we gave we gave Joe Flacco credit for winning a road playoff game in New England when he threw for 30 yards. I'm serious. Go look it up. 2009, it was the wild card round. It was Brady's first year back after shredding his knee. Joe Flacco threw for like 30 yards, and Baltimore won that game going away. So, you know, kind of what we credit and what we don't credit I feel for him. That's all that I'm saying. It's it's getting harder and harder to defend it because you you keep having to add these performances and two back-to-back solo homers to tie the game and and all these just crushing crushing postseason defeats, but I do feel for him. And I feel for I've got a one Dodger fan friend who I feel kind of bad for. 30 years is a long time for uh, a franchise like that that has unlimited resources and is viewed as one of the great franchises in baseball. Three decades is a long wait. 
239-1260. Uh, later on in the hour, Sean Devaney is going to join us, NBA writer for Heavy.com, and we'll talk about this China problem. In fact, we'll talk a little bit about more about that next, uh, including what agents are telling their players to say about this situation. It's Corian Schultz, Fox Sports 1260. We have Sean Devaney coming up a little over 10 minutes from now, but first let's hop into the Jack's Donuts. Tweet sack. Take a deep reach in there. This from our pal Andy at Schultz975. I'm not Super Bowl or, or it's trash season guy, but wild card banners are garbage. Yeah, I agree with I'll you. I'll give him that, yeah. I agree with you. Those are a little ridiculous. Uh, I understand that early in the Colts' history here in Indy, they wanted to hang banners for something, and wild card banners were all to be hung for many years. When did they did they win the division in eighty seven, or was <laughs> that? I, I, I'm trying to remember if that was a. I'm trying to remember what the playoff format was then. I think that was pre playoff expansion, but I'll go back and look because the other ones were all. I think the other ones were all wild cards. Ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven were wild cards. Ninety nine, they won the division. I'll I'll go back and look at that. I'm but yeah, that out. I, I think it's. Um, it really is dumb to have that happen, and and yeah, they did win in '87. Okay, so they did win the division. Okay, well, you had scab players for one or two of those oh, games, yeah. didn't you? I think with the work stoppage or whatever. I think with those wild card bands, what they should do is I I just thought about this now is kind of like how IU does it with like or Purdue does it too with like Big Ten championships where it's just like one banner in the list. All yeah, the I years. agree. Yeah, that's fine. I'm cool one with banner, that. Maybe. Yeah, I'm yeah. cool with that. Um, I just think you know. AFC Wild. Like, AFC finalists, that was the big uproar, and that was the one that went national, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't either, just how with how they lost that game. Is- yeah, I, well, yeah. Uh, I think a conference, I think making a conference championship game is a great accomplishment, and, and it's really the NFL's Final Four. I've got no issue with that at all, but that's what kind of turned them into a uh, a national punching bag. But you have the same thing kind of with the Ring of Honor. Like, you know, Bill Brooks, who's a great guy, he's been on the show. Bill Brooks got in the Ring of Honor because you had to put somebody in the Ring of Honor, right? You needed to populate that. Would Bill Brooks, under the standard of the Ring of Honor, now get in? Probably not. Same for Marsha Broda. Same for same for Harbaugh, who's in the Ring of Honor. Speaking of, and I didn't mean to to get off track here with this. I saw somebody pose a question. I think it was Kent posed a question on Twitter: Who's the pacer? The next Pacers number to be retired? And he had a pull up, and it was like J.O., Rick Smits. He didn't have Freddie Lewis on that, who I think would be the fifth guy that you would put up there. Um, but I don't think any of those. He, I think he had Paul George, too. I don't think any of those guys are getting up there. J.O. hasn't gotten up there by now. I don't think J.O.'s going to mm-hmm. get up there. And people still have memories of the brawl and all of that. And he's f- fairly or unfairly, I think it's unfair, but he's linked with that. And Danny Granger doesn't get up there, you think? No. No, I don't think so. I, I wouldn't think so either. Um, you know, especially now that those guys, you know, McGinnis and and Brown and Daniels have all made the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So now it's almost like even if you wanted, even if you really did have a fan favorite, like Granger was a, a fan favorite and all of that, you'd really have to be a borderline to actual Hall of Fame player to make it. And Granger made a all-star game. <laughs> As somebody in there was was arguing that Smits was a better player than J.O., and it's just, you know, you, you can't, yeah. Look, I love Rick Smits, 
Um, Rick Smith's at his peak was not a better player than J.O. <laughs> J.O. finished third in the MVP voting, I think, one year. Rick Smith's never I, – I, I would doubt Rick Smith's ever got a MVP vote. Great player, fan favorite, and all of that, but, like, let's not let's not make stuff up. Let's not be Richard Sherman on stuff like this. This NBA issue with China is a total mess. Um, agents are apparently telling their players right now just don't comment on it. So – no one has said anything, and there's been a lot of anger directed towards Popovich and Kerr, and I can kind of see why, you know, maybe not anger, like don't don't have a meltdown about it, but I could see why there's disappointment in there. Howard Beck had a tweet today, he's covered the NBA for a long time, New York Times and the Bleacher Report, that said, you know, 99% of, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing here, but 99% of the people that are upset at Popovich and Kerr and LeBron are people that have criticized their previous takes. And they're just upset because they don't like those guys. And and I, I don't think that that's true. I think there are a lot of people who ideologically or politically may line up with LeBron or Popovich or Kerr who are disappointed that those three haven't said something about this or defended Maury or, or stepped up here. And, um, you know, is it the NBA telling them not to do it? Are they afraid because of brushback from Silver or from the league? I have no idea. I don't know what's going on behind closed doors. But I, for one, am disappointed that they haven't said anything. And somebody on Twitter was like, well, they, they said they wanted to wait for everything to play out. Well, they, they've never taken that stance before, though. Whenever you've asked Popovich or Kerr or somebody like that for a take on a hot-button societal issue, they've given you their take. And I've liked that about them. Some people hate that and they want everyone to stick to sports and shut up and dribble and the whole deal. I like that. I've, I've got no problem with it. If a guy wants to speak up and use his platform and, and have a take on something that's going on in society, great, wonderful, grand. You know, you do you. I'm completely cool with it. But I'm disappointed here that now it's all, you know, silence now that it's about to hit the NBA in the pocketbook. And I think it's a, it's a big hit on their integrity because they want to – you know, be the league that is outspoken about doing the right thing and for, you know, these communities that are under attack, like like the Charlotte slash North Carolina all-star game bathroom law. The NBA went bonkers over that. Threatened to pull the game and, and the whole deal, and, and it ended up working out, and it was a nice, it was a good stance for them to take. You know, so like what, what happened here with the NCAA and, and RIFRA, it was a good stance for them to take. It was the right stance. But you can't take that stance and then not not take a stance here with what's going on in China or hide behind, well, we're still gathering information. What do you mean you're gathering information? Seems to be either you back a, a right take here or a wrong take here. And there's so much money tied up in here. I, I don't envy Adam silver with what he's going to have to go through here because this is a, a mess that I'm not sure is ever really going to get cleaned up. I think you're just going to have to bite the bullet and take the hit. I don't think this is going to blow over or that China's going to forget about it. And I think they know they need China to make their bottom line. And they got in bed with this oppressive government. And here we are. One tweet kind of blows the lid off this whole thing. Sean Devaney will lend more clarity to the situation next. Longtime NBA rider. He joins us on Quarry and Schultz, Fox Sports 1260. It's the only four hours of the day that Query isn't at the gym. You're listening to Query and Schultz on Fox Sports 1260 Indy Sports Station. 
Whenever it's time to talk NBA basketball, we usually invite on our friend Sean Devaney. But I am a little bit sad that Jake's not here to grill him about mascots and all the other inane chatter that Jake comes up with. Sean, now representing Heavy.com, the longtime NBA writer, makes his return to the show right now. Omnisource guest line, Omnisource, the best of meadows of cycling. I'm kind of late to the congrats here, Sean, but congratulations on the new gig. It's great to read you again. Well, thanks. I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully there'll be uh, plenty of time for Jake and I to uh, to chat mascots. Yeah, we'll make that happen coming up later on this year. He's he's with uh, his longtime girlfriend, and they're going to France, so everyone here stateside is thinking that this is going to mean that he's like proposing or something, but I have, oh boy. I have no idea what's about to happen. I didn't pry, you know? He pries into my personal <laughs> life all the time. I didn't want to pry for him. Uh, no, right, and, and, and there's some things you probably just don't want to do. <laughs> well, that too. Uh, it's been a busy week for the NBA, right? Usually this is the preseason and, you know, we're barely even talking about the league until it actually gets into the games that count. But this whole China thing has been a big bombshell story. And I know there have been stories in the past, Sean, that have kind of burned hot and faded away. But with this NBA China mess, am I right in saying that this, this just doesn't feel like one of those things that's going to easily go away here anytime soon? No, and I think the NBA has, uh, you know, gotten a hold of it from its end in terms of what its message is and 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 what it, you know, as far as it wants to go, as far as Adam Silver wants to go, uh, in terms of trying to please the Chinese without uh, uh, taking too much flack uh, back home, uh, because it took him four days to do that. It might have been a little too late. It seems like the message has already uh, sort of settled in that that people are looking at this like uh, the, the the NBA has kowtowed to China, uh, and uh, and even with that, the Chinese aren't happy. So if you're the NBA, if you're Adam Silver, you're stuck in a place where uh, where, where everybody's uh, uh, ticked off at you. You know where you're you're losing all this revenue from China, uh, and you're taking uh, you're taking all this heat back home. So uh, it is really a lose lose situation for the NBA right now yeah I was going to say regardless of how he plays it from here they're gonna either lose in the PR slash integrity department or lose in the wallet or potentially both right yeah and and like I say because there was sort of a a, a delayed reaction in the first uh, statement that the NBA put out on this subject was really tone deaf and you saw uh, you know, James Harden with sort of a, uh, a groveling apology and, and, uh, uh, and the, the Nets owner and the, and the Rockets owner, um, you know, coming out strongly against what Daryl Morey had tweeted. And don't forget that this, this all started with what, what seemed to be just a, a nothing sort of tweet in support of Hong Kong protesters from Daryl Morey, uh, has, has, has blossomed into this. Um, but yeah, you know, I think because the NBA got its initial messaging so wrong uh, that even as as uh, Silver, like I said, has has found his footing and found a comfort zone in terms of where he wants to be on this, uh, it, it seems like it's too late. Yeah, looking at this with how some people have have really become, and I don't think most people are outraged, Sean. I do think that there are is a certain group of people that are outraged about this, but I think there are people that are disappointed that we haven't heard something from, let's say, Greg Popovich or Steve Kerr about this, and even though it is kind of a delicate situation, what, what would you say to those people who are upset with NBA coaches or players and, and the you know, kind of the gag order that is out there from agents or from whoever else, maybe it's from the league, to kind of speak openly about this topic and most, I think, wanting them to defend Maury's tweet? 
Yeah, I, and I think that's right. I think Popovich probably came closer than anyone to actually doing that, uh, but uh, but without going too far uh, to where he was going to add to the to the league's problems with China. Uh, Kerr ducked the question altogether, um, and and you know Adam Silver, like I said, uh, eventually it took him a few days, but eventually did address it. Uh, but I can understand that, you know, because there is uh, this sense that NBA players and coaches have been uh, you know very loud in terms of speaking out on political issues, social issues, things like that. Um, and, uh, and, and it's almost as if uh, they're okay with doing that uh, as long as it doesn't hurt their bottom line. Now, when you get into the, uh, into the matter of, uh, of, of uh, offending the Chinese and, and almost being censored by, uh, by the, the way that the Chinese government, the, the, the Chinese Communist Party, um, it controls its people, uh, you're now allowing yourself to be controlled in that same way. And, and so I think there's a lot of people in this country who uh, look at that and say, well, wait, how come you're speaking out about this, mm-hmm. but not about that? You know, and, 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 and that's, that's understandable. It's, uh, uh, it's something that, like I said, when Daryl Morey sent out that tweet, he couldn't have any idea uh, the issues that he was going to wind up raising. Uh, and, uh, and, and it really has put the league in a bind, and it has put the individuals who, like you say, um, you know, do speak out on certain things, it's put them in a bind, too, because it does make them look like hypocrites. Is there a chance, Sean, that if there is a significant loss of revenue from this China fallout, it could have NBA salary cap implications? Or it, if there is a chance, is there a good chance that that happens? Or is that just something that's out there? Yeah, and I wonder what the NBA is. You know, it's not like the NBA necessarily has a rainy day fund uh, where they can, uh, uh, you know, support the the salary cap, uh, even if the, the, the basketball – that would require the union to agree to it. Um, you know, so there, there would be some things uh, that would have to be agreed to between the league and the union. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, you'd be asking teams to spend money that they don't have. The way it works is all the, all the income that's created from basketball, whether it's in China or in India uh, or in Indiana, you know, everywhere you go, that all gets put into a pool and basically gets divided among the 30 teams. And it's determined by the CBA that the players get half of that. So all that money is, is, is a factor in terms of what the, what the salary cap is. If you take out a chunk of, 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 of that money, if you take out a chunk of it, and China's a pretty good chunk, uh, then it's going to affect the salary cap. Uh, so yeah, teams that have had plans, teams that have had, uh, you know, ideas on, on, on how much money they'll have to spend this summer, that could all get thrown for a loop uh, unless the league does something here. And uh, uh, I, I'm not sure what their options are going to be. Could this be the greatest long con in history by Daryl Morey where they're cash strapped in Houston or cap strapped and he sent this tweet <laughs> knowing that there would be ramifications on the salary cap for other teams? Or am I, is that way too conspiracy theory of me? You know, if he if, if he did that, then my hat is off to him. That if he could have seen all this coming, then uh, then my hat is off to him because uh, that would have been a brilliant, brilliant move. Uh, I don't. I I, I kind of doubt it. Yeah. You know, I kind of yeah. doubt. It. Don't forget that he's got uh, two contracts in, on his books in Russell Westbrook and James Harden uh, that are going to if, if the salary cap is reduced hurt him as much as it hurts sure. anybody. Yeah, and I I don't think anyone could have known. He certainly could have known when he, whether he's typing it on his phone or on a laptop or whatever that that little tweet was going to create this big of a problem for the, for the entire league. I mean, this has really exploded. Sean Devaney joins us, NBA writer, heavy.
Chevy.com. Uh, let's talk about the actual games on the court. I get it. The preseason is the preseason, but has there been anything that has stood out to you so far in what you've seen, Sean? Uh, you know, like you say, it's, it's, it's the preseason, you know, I was at the Celtics game the other night and, and, uh, uh, you know, taco fall, the, the, the seven, five guy out of central Florida, uh, people were going nuts for him. Uh, and, and understandably, you know, he's a likable guy. He's, he's really ingratiated himself, uh, to the, to, to Celtics fans. Uh, and, uh, reality is that when uh, the end of October comes around, he'll be in Maine, you know, he'll be playing on the G league team, uh, in Maine. So, you know, the, all the excitement will be will, will sort of fade. Um, I think Zion Williamson, you know, really he's looked uh, every bit as terrific as uh, uh, as people had hoped. I think New Orleans has got to be very pleased. They look like a playoff team. I know it's it's, it's two games in the preseason, and uh, you know, obviously that's not enough to go on to call them that. But but just based on what we've seen, uh, you know, they look like every every gamble that they took on certain players uh, looks like uh, it could potentially pay off. Uh, so I. I really like where the Pelicans, especially Zion Williamson, uh, I really like where they are. Speaking of the Celtics, are, are they going to have a role right away for Carson Edwards? Uh, I think so. You know, I mean, their their backcourt depth, uh, that's 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 going to be a, a big question mark. What they do uh, behind Kemba Walker, uh, you know, you've got Brad Wanamaker there, who's sort of been uh, uh, kicking around on the fringe of the franchise. This might be a chance uh, for him to to seize a backup uh, uh, backup sort of combo guard role, a one-two kind of role, uh, and that could uh, uh, that could hurt Car- Carson Edwards. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, the, 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 there's no question that it's those those backup roles there. Uh, Langford as well. I mean, you know, they're they're in a position where those guys uh, could wind up uh, winning a spot, but 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 they're going to have to win it. My my guess though, Derek, is that they're going to give guys like I said, Wanamaker, mm-hmm. uh, Semi Ojale, these guys who have sort of been 13th, 14th men on the roster, probably give those guys a look first. Uh, but by the middle of December or so, they might be looking uh, uh, towards some of the rookies uh, uh, to to give them some minutes. Uh, looking over to the Pacers, if you had to predict it today, and we still don't know. Oladipo's when his return is going to be and how effective he's going to be. So that's really kind of, we'd all agree that's the big wild card for this season, at least in the scope of 1920. But if you had to predict it today, Sean, do the Pacers finish above, below, or right around the number five seed in the East that they've where they've been the past two years? I think they'll be above, you know, I, I really, and, and a lot of it does depend on Victor. And, and like you say, not just when he comes back, but how he comes back, you know, if he can be himself by the end of January, uh, uh, then I think that's that, that, that this has the potential to be, uh, certainly the number three seed, uh, in the East, I would say, uh, at least number four. Uh, I really like what they did. Uh, you know, I, I think that they, they took the roster that they had last year, uh, and sort of upgraded every position. You know, you look at the two guards, uh, the two point guards, you've got Brogdon and McConnell rather than Collison and, jo- and Joseph. You know, look, Collison played great. We talked about that before, uh, played above his, uh, his pay grade, no question. Uh, but you know, Brogdon and McConnell, that's a, that's a big upgrade. Um, you know, the, the other wings, Holiday and Lamb, I really like compare that to Tyreek Evans, for instance. Uh, that's a big upgrade. Um, you know, TJ Warren, you know, for the money that they gave him compared to the money that Bogdanovich got, I think they basically got a poor man's Bogdanovich. So I think they did pretty well with that. I think they're in a pretty good
good position. I think this roster also uh, is much more tailored to emphasize what Victor does well. Uh, so when so if he can come back and be something to, like what he was uh, uh, at his peak, you know, anything close to that by the end of January, I think that this is a really dangerous team because I think this roster uh, suits him much better than any roster he's played with. Yeah, and it's still crazy to think that they actually got something to take T.J. Warren. So, you know, you you just get – yes, you had to absorb his contract, but right. in today's NBA, I mean, what's he making, $13 million a year or whatever it is? $13 million a year for a player like Warren is fine. That's about level with who he is. Yeah, and, and you know, he's a bit of an X factor, no question, but, but uh, you know, like I say, compare that to the four years and what was it, 75, 80 million? I think it's 75 yeah, million. Yeah, a lot. Uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, that, it's a worthy gamble for them. They need somebody who can create some scoring uh, outside of uh, uh, outside of Victor, and there's no question that uh, uh, that that's what T.J. Warren can do. Is uh, you know he's got his weaknesses, no doubt. He can play the four though. If he, if you want to go small with either Sabonis or Turner at the five, uh, and uh, you know when one of them is resting, you have Warren at the four. Uh, they've got some good wings with Jeremy Lamb and uh, uh, and and Justin Holiday. Uh, you know I I really like this roster, and I I think it's one that uh, like I say is is designed, it's got the right role players uh, for what Victor does. Last thing here, Sean, I, I was excited when I found out that you linked up with Heavy.com, and I hadn't spent a ton of time on the site before you started there, before I started reading all your basketball stuff, and I noticed in the sports tab at Heavy.com, they have a tab for w- WAGs, which is it's it's a compilation of all news involving players' wives and girlfriends, and I think it's I think it's genius. I, 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 I have not yet contributed to the WAG yeah. uh, section. <laughs> I have not. My 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 limits. I, I've been limited on uh, uh, on that. But to, I mean, honestly, though, that's that's probably the most read part of the site. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff on there for sure. I was just perusing. I was like, damn, this is some news that I was not aware of. At Sean Devity on Twitter and Heavy dot com, you can read his work. You can read about uh, WAGs as well. Thanks so much, Sean. Uh, don't be a stranger right. during the basketball season. We'll get you back when Jake is back with us. All right, thanks, Derek. Uh, it's our friend Sean Devaney, and I'm happy for him. He had a long, successful run at Sporting News, and as what happens in the sports media world, um, at times the landscape changed, changes, and it changed for Sean at the end of last season, and i um, happy to see him link up again. A really talented writer, a smart NBA guy. But um, speaking of WAGs, did, did you see – Sam, do you follow EPL or European football at all? No, but you know I, what story I'm about I to did. talk about, I right? I do, yes. If you guys didn't see this already, and if you're a soccer fan, you absolutely saw this because this is a big deal. Wayne Rooney's, it's his wife, right? He's married. Yes. Wayne Rooney's wife, I guess, had had all of these stories from the, you know, the British tabloids are just relentless. And she had all these stories leaked from the the Daily Mirror, I think it's called. This stuff, like she tried to, uh, she she went for a consultation. She and Wayne Rooney to try to pick the gender of their their unborn child or some some like experimental trial procedure. She had some basement flooding issue or something. You know, all of these things that ended up reaching the tabloids. And she had this post the other day where she said. I was having this legitimate news leaked about me from inside my inner circle. So in order to do a leak test, I decided to make all of my Instagram stuff private except for one person. 
And so I shared these ridiculous stories about my personal life, which were all completely made up, that I did this with the, the gender test and I did this, the basement flooded and, you know, I got in a car accident, you know, whatever else. And she said that she only left one account in there to view any of those Instagram stories. And apparently it's this girlfriend, wife of this other player. Amazing. <laughs> and she called her out on Instagram. The, and she said, yeah, it's, it's, it's her. dot, 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 Rebecca Vardy's account. Yeah, the, Rebecca the ellipsis, Vardy. There the ellipses were great. And she says, she, she gives, and this is the biggest red flag of all, she gives the, it was not me, but oh, hey, multiple people have access to my account. Yeah, <laughs> sure they do. Sure they do. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was the multiple people that have access to my account. But it was great. I actually want to find that actual Instagram post but because it was like it was like a movie. I mean, it was it's amazing. And I don't even follow football or anything like that. And and you know, obviously I know who uh Wayne Rooney is, but um man, that is that is some juicy, juicy drama stuff. Six o'clock hour, we will play Quarry and Schultz Picks at Six. Instead of Quarry and Schultz Picks at Six, it'll be, I guess we can call it Schultz and Sam Picks at Six. Perfect. We'll go through the NFL schedule. Also, uh, we had a great conversation earlier today about Clayton Kershaw and the playoffs and regular season with Joe Sheehan. We'll re-rack that for you. Uh, Will Carroll from a little bit earlier today. We bumped him up a day because we're actually not going to be live tomorrow. Uh, Jake is in France, as you know. And with it being the Colts bye week and with him out, I was just like, oh. Just take the day. I've got a vacation day to burn. I no, think it's, we were originally going to go to the Apple Orchard with Big Boy, but it looks like the weather forecast looks terrible for tomorrow, so I think we're going to have to bag those plants. With picks at six, what ridiculous uh, you know, reasons should I use to pick these teams like Jake does? No, just I, I just want like actual NFL takes on oh, these okay. teams. I want to just have like a straight-up, like let's have a good dude football discussion all right starting with the game tonight patriots and giants and a 17 point spread we'll tackle that next it's corian schultz